News. 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 New York City. FAQ NYC podcast getting more and more interesting by the minute. FAQ. It's FAQ NYC. I am Harry Siegel here with Katie Honan of the city. Hey, Katie. Hey, Harry. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Where are you today? I am squatting in the city council chambers at City Hall. I'm sitting on the piano bench that they keep a piano in the corner um, and I'm sitting on the piano bench. Can you play the piano? um, Poorly. I took lessons as a child and my mom told me I would one day regret not practicing and she was 100% right. And now I'm trying to learn again. Does anyone ever play that piano? Yeah, I think the inner circle. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But yes, we did not come to talk about piano. <laughs> that's uh, that, that's Alice's restaurant about yeah, 20 minutes right. in. <laughs> We're here to talk about the draft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so actually, before we get to it, a, a half programming note. We're in, we're in white summer gab mode right now. As some listeners may know, I've actually just joined Katie at the city as a uh, editor there. And there's going to be some nice and interesting news coming about the podcast shortly. Um, In the meantime, it's been another interesting week in New York with much to discuss. The latest, as we're recording this, is uh, still another Sally Goldenberg scoop. Yeah. Save some scoops for the rest of us, Sally. (laughs) Uh, This one one about... uh, Eric Adams, where, as Katie put it in a DM, <laughs> it's a nice layer. It's up in the sky, good views, uh, or hang out with Phil Banks in Brooklyn, presumably, although the story doesn't specify, you know, it's a, it's, it's a city office that, that he's been using to be sort of, uh, out of view or offline some of the time, Yeah, which is only the latest in a series of, uh, Interesting things about where does Eric Adams live? Where does he spend his uh, time, and so forth? Uh, th- does this tell us anything? We 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 what what does this tell us that we didn't already know about well, I, this mayor and how he does things? I mean, it's just the fact that he has a secret office, three seventy five Pearl, better known as the Verizon Building, um, not too far from City Hall, but it's super private. He works there with Phil Banks, according to Sally's reporting, and I think it just continues to hammer the point of what we know, where this is a very secretive mayor. Um, he says there's reasons for that, for for other kind of bizarre uh, inconsistencies and questions, but this just adds to it. You know, there's been the questions of where he lives, the questions of who he hangs out with, where he spends his time. When he flew to Europe, where did he, when he flew overseas, we didn't even know where he went. Turned out he went to Monaco. All of these things of, of this this creating this mystery around him. And, and And I think back, I remember I asked back in November, it was the Thanksgiving Eve and, and the mayor was there looking at the balloons. And I think, I think I asked almost maybe to set up for what I saw as what everyone saw would be one of the, the things of his administration of like, you know, you are self-described as a private person, but you really have to, as soon as January 1st at midnight, you know, at 1201, you kind of have to throw all your privacy away because you're the mayor <clears throat> and how you would handle that. He said that he'd be very transparent, all that. Um, you know, I guess he thinks, why should he just stand around at a you know press conference and say, oh, by the way, I have an office at 375 Pearl, but that's the job of reporters to to bring that out. 
And if you don't say these things, and I'll add a couple more to the mystery list, uh, there's fish and uh, a plant-based diet, of course. Yeah. yeah. There was, speaking of flights, there was the flight to uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah. With a, a cryptocurrency, I'm back with the cryptocurrency billionaire on his private plane. There was the uh, father of one of the murdered drill rappers, who the father was upset that he felt Adams miscommunicated his son's story. Um, he came out to the papers and said that. It then came out in a uh, in a piece, I believe, by Laura Namius. Apologies if I'm flipping that. That Adams then flew the father into New York so they could have a conversation and clear the air. And you know th- those things, all these trips, they cost. Uh, they cost money. The, yeah. um, how all this is working, who's paying for what flights, all that is is interesting. It's coming right as de Blasio, the former mayor, has finally given up his NYPD police detail. Yeah. As he's running for Congress, and it looks sort of terrible, I think, to uh, to still have that. Yeah, I think it, I think usually it is six months after. You know, you can't compare him to Bloomberg because Bloomberg just had the guys retire and work for him because he's a billionaire. But I, I do think, you know, July 1st was the uh, the end of it. So he's back to being regular candidate Bill um, campaigning around the district in the same outfit every day. It's very it's very Mark Zuckerberg. But um, that's just one observation. So, yeah, I mean, I think all of these stories about Mayor Adams and even like looking at Chief of Staff Fran Caron, he was in Jerusalem this week. It's these questions of who's paying for this travel. Um you know, you have to ask, right? And I have, and I'm sure other people have as well. But um, this is these these sort of questions. I mean, it keeps things very interesting, um, at least. <laughs> and at least it's it's fun. It, it gives big comic book vibes to have the mayor with like a secret office. I think, you know, that's what I imagine. It does feel a little bit like a Batman kind of thing. Like you have a secret lair somewhere. Um, although not below ground, uh, very, very high up above ground. So... Speaking of endless and repetitious sequels, <laughs> what is happening with the city's monkeypox response? Like, unlike COVID, this is a known disease. There's a known vaccine. Mm-hmm. There's been spread before. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like the, the, there have been real issues from jump with the uh, with the distribution here as well as what the feds have been delivering. You know, I keep seeing these quotes and stories about how we need to take these lessons we've learned from COVID. And I'm, I'm really wondering like what lessons have been worked, have been learned as I'm watching this response. Yeah. I mean, it, it has been the rollout of this vaccine has been really bungled and so many technical difficulties running out of the vaccine um, there were some questions about where it was being distributed. Was it equitable? Where, you know, the places that were first selected to be given out, you don't know the reasons behind that. It could be that's where they saw the most positive cases, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think some people, it's particularly sensitive because this, what doctors are saying is that monkeypox is primarily affecting men who have sex with other men. And people are saying, look, this is sort of giving them it's reminding them of the issues um, with another pandemic of AIDS, of of the government response, not jumping on this, not making sure that there's enough uh, information and there's enough treatment and, and especially not spreading it out. 
around the city. I know they've expanded it beyond. It was initially just in Chelsea, but now there's at, at health centers all around the city. So this is the concern. There were tech issues. There were the, the site crash. The, the, they were getting taken up. It reminded me of those early days when more people were eligible for the coronavirus vaccine, you know, just the refreshing and then all the vaccine shots are done. So there's a national issue as well with the federal response. Um, the mayor's spoken with the federal government to get more vaccines. So that is just another kind of bungled vaccine distribution. So the first thousand doses were only available at the uh, Chelsea Sexual mm-hmm. Health Clinic in Chelsea. Uh, as of this week, there's now three locations. Yeah. Um, the Chelsea Sexual Health Clinic, Central Harlem Sexual Health Clinic, and in Queens, the Corona Sexual mm-hmm. Health Clinic. So that still isn't exactly all around yeah. the city. And part of the issue is that the feds have only brought in 7,000 doses and full so far. And by the way, it's two shots a month apart mm-hmm. for full immunity. So so if these doses, everyone who gets a first also gets a second, you know, that's 3,500 people. Um, interestingly, uh, I, I see or I learned reading the explainer about monkeypox at the city that uh, the city's health commissioner, um, Ashwin Vassan, has stressed how did he put this? Um, that there's nothing intrinsic about the disease that makes it a bigger risk to gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men, mm-hmm. but rather that the outbreak's been concentrated in that way because it began in that uh, in in that network, um, and so that that's where the the uh, initial spread was occurring, yeah. and that's why the city's focused its uh, its efforts there. Um, which maybe explains why it was just Chelsea to start with. And apparently when the second dose of of vaccines came, I saw people reporting on Twitter. I have not confirmed this, there there's a, uh, you know, a group chat of, of men who party who actually got the link to book those appointments before, just before it was supposed to be publicly posted. So ended up filling a bunch of those, uh, which seems to echo to some extent I think probably more reporting needs to be done to be clear here. Some some of the issues with the coronavirus where you had uh, uh, vaccine places set up in communities and then, uh, you know, people from way outside of them and with 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 resources and time and the ability to do so, like like sort of snatching up those appointments before people lived around the corner or whatnot could get yeah. there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it was not, you know, going back to the COVID vaccine, it wasn't like they were checking IDs, right? And and mm-hmm. there were the only qualifications were, were certain jobs and, and other kind of pre-existing conditions. I will say back, you know, going back to the COVID stuff, I know a lot of people were very mad at looking at the zip codes that have the higher concentration. And even some people were like, oh, people from Long Island and Westchester. I think in the earliest days, you know, if you're saying that this is a vaccine that's the only eligibility is for, you know, teachers, cops, firefighters, you know, if you're a teacher who lives on Long Island and works in New York City, you know, Go to Williamsburg, go to, you know, go where you need to get it, right? But I think, yeah, that's the larger issue. We need more, when it comes to monkeypox, we need more of these shots. And yeah, you're handing it out in three of the five boroughs. That's not equitable. And then also, you know, when they're two, two, sorry, the Bronx, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Manhattan, Queens. No, just Manhattan. It's, oh. it's Harlem, Chelsea, and Sorry, Elmhurst. you're right. Yeah. I'm sorry. So yeah, the, the the one on Junction Boulevard and Corona, so two of the five boroughs, and then when they were doing these shots as well, you know, are people going to take off a day of work to get a shot that maybe they won't even get an appointment for? So I think that was the other concern that people had, that they're in the middle of the day, and by the time 
you know, we don't have a 24-hour vaccine operation like we did during COVID. So I think, yeah, this is a federal issue. We need more shots and then hopefully more people could get it before this really does, because the cases are increasing. Um, and hopefully with more people getting vaccinated, the cases will not continue to increase to a, a huge number. Katie, shifting gears for one second, we just fill listeners in on the story you did with uh, Amir documented uh, about, you know, this fire in Jackson Heights, 500 people displaced, lots of their belongings burglarized, and then the cleanup crew that was supposed to be, uh, you know, securing and, uh, and, and fixing things up in the building afterward. Yeah. So, um, the Department of Justice last month, late last month, released, uh, they put out a press release that the DOJ, along with the NYPD and Homeland Security and the FBI, arrested uh, blood gang members, members of the Bloods who allegedly, starting in 2019, took over this fire response cleanup crew, first response, um, in based in Brooklyn, took it over, and then using violence, threats of violence, and extortion, um, took over the whole industry. And, you know, these are the companies that come if you have a fire, they they come immediately. And there are people, you know, it, there's, it seems the fact that a gang, a violent gang could create what the DOJ called an enterprise within this industry that is, you know, there for the most, when the most vulnerable people, you just, your apartment burned down, you're, that that's that's not an ideal situation. Coming in, threatening, working with public adjusters and private adjusters to work on insurance. And these companies, I know in the Jackson Heights building, uh, the Queens Chronicle reported that this blood-affiliated organization got a $24 million contract to clean it up. So thinking strictly in terms of finances, it's actually a pretty smart thing to get into if, if you are in the business of making money quickly. Obviously, the, the methods of doing it Actually, you know, the complaint said that they were beating people up, videotaping it, and then showing other companies, this is what's going to happen to you. And and through extortion and racketeering and actual violence and threats of violence, they took over this industry, took over other companies, started establishing their own rules, setting up what losses, who would take what losses, rotating what would happen. So it was pretty crazy. And it's it was odd that this had not really been reported by other people and also not really addressed. Uh, reach out to HPD, haven't heard anything. City Hall didn't really comment. Um, didn't comment at all. wasn't Didn't appear to be aware of it when I asked. So um, it seems like this is a larger issue within this sort of niche, but very profitable and also important industry. So very, very crazy story. It was a nice collaboration with Documented on it. But yeah, it, these are just issues with people, you know, your apartment burns down or there's a fire in your building and you can't get in, which is the case for a lot of people. There's water damage, obviously. They're not allowed in because it's a safety issue. And then we reported a year ago that their stuff was stolen. They they could see video conferences from the contractor and they noticed somebody's Jordan sneaker collection, highly valuable, valuable jewelry, piggy banks, anything was gone. And the, the, just to be clear, the, the DOJ's complaint does not mention any of that, but this was this company that was hired and yeah. With the 24 million contract, like, like yeah. may, maybe the burglarizing wasn't their concern, but securing things wasn't so much of a concern either. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very crazy. And it's just devastating for people who lost a lot of things and, you know, lost or couldn't even get back home if they were at work that day and they haven't been back since, um, fighting to get back in and then seeing what's going on with 
their items. Yeah. So there's quotes in the uh, story from one of the tenant organizers that are really uh, uh, striking, including he says them showing up at one point dressed all in red and black and telling the building residents, don't get close to the fucking building, step away. Yeah. And then uh, the, the feds mention one guy, Octavio Parada, who's a 42-year-old public adjuster who was allegedly uh, involved in threatening to kill or shoot other employees. Um, his lawyer stresses that he is a licensed public adjuster with no affiliation of any gang, et cetera. I cannot help but to think of a account receivable supervisor, Herbert Cornfield, uh, <laughs> who old onion readers, uh, print era will recognize. <laughs> That's but, a throwback. Uh, it, it's, 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 you know, 24 million is a lot of money and it leads to these just sort of interesting questions about who, who's minding the shop or watching any of these contracts or, or, and if this is a one-off or if they saw this opportunity because other similar things are going on. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot more to dig into there. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. And hopefully you'll be doing some of that reporting. Yeah. Other people will. Oh, I should give a shout out just very quickly before we end to New York Magazine to take us back to where we started in this uh, this building where which uh, Politico reports, uh, you know, is, is where Eric uh, Adams and Phil Banks have been hanging out. New York Magazine has a fun story saying, where is Phil Banks? <laughs> He's the you know deputy mayor for public safety. Yeah. He hasn't basically been seen, although Adams mentions him occasionally, you know, speaking to the public in six months. It is, uh, as Eric Adams likes to say, as you said, uh, it, it's an interesting administration to follow. No one's getting bored. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that the, the five other female deputy mayors get a lot of get a lot of screen time for lack of a better, you know, they were front and center um, when Roe versus Wade was removed. That's the correct term. And, you know, you see Phil Banks sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's a good story in New York Magazine about where he is and considering it was such a controversial hire, what he's doing. Screen time's exactly the word though, in that they, they, their screen time often comes as it did after the Supreme Court's decision overturned Roe, Along with the uh, along with the mayor, and every administration does some of this. You know, they're trying to handle the message and sort of sort of uh, control how this comes out. One of the complications for banks, of course, is that uh, which is the kicker of the New York Magazine piece. It's hard to be the face of public safety when when Eric Adams yep. wants to be yep. there, and wants uh, people to turn themselves in directly to him. Sometimes, you know, who are on the run from the police and and, and things like that. Uh, but yeah. Thank you for saying for overturn. We'll that was a word I could not think of. But overturn and removed are essentially the same thing. With that, it's the heat. Stay cool. Ice cold. And we'll see you next week. Bye. FAQ. FAQ NYC is headquartered at the McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research and recorded this week from the borough of Manhattan. We're a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Artists, and Critics. Find us online at thebrick.house. Adam Kamara did all the audio things that I don't even understand for this episode. And a big thank you to us for being our own <laughs> special guests. Uh, you know, be safe, be cool, be good. And we'll be back at it soon. See you then. Goodbye. <laughs>